Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. So this weekend we've had a really good uh, and a blessed time just to hear uh, Pastor Daniel speak from God's Word. And I'd like every one of us to just open our hearts, not to receive him, but to receive what God would be speaking through him. So Pastor Daniel, why don't you come on up here? Oh, good morning. We made it. It was a little tough for us, I'm sure, this morning. Um, if you're here for the first time this weekend, welcome. I really just want to begin by saying thank you. I want to say thank you to the pastors, Pastor Frank, Pastor Jared, Pastor Dave, Dr. Steve, and um, am I missing anybody else? Pastor Peter. Sorry, man. I want to thank all the pastors. Um, It was such a joy to be able to join you guys and uh, to be able to just worship with different churches and I'm so grateful for the opportunity. I'm so grateful to be here. I'm so grateful for everybody that prayed into this weekend, everybody that served at any level. I personally thank you. And I thank you even if you came to allow me to even just speak the word and just listen. I understand my age. I understand uh, my youth. I understand um, who I am. And I, I know that a lot of people here have experienced life more than I have. But I pray that throughout this weekend, uh, you would not have heard my opinion nor my experience, but it would have been simply just the Word of God and just the Word of God speaking. And if you can remember, uh, and all the other things that you're praying for, if you can somehow just pray for me, I'd be eternally grateful for that. And uh, thank you for allowing even some of our church members to be here and to worship with you guys. And somebody even mentioned um, the flags here in this cafeteria. And now we look here and we see the different nations represented. And it's just a glimpse of the throne. That one day all nations, all tribes, all tongues will come before Jesus and we will worship Him the way we did this morning. It's a joy to be here with you this morning. Let's pray as we open up the Word of God. If you have your Bibles, please open up to Isaiah chapter 64. Father, we thank you this morning that we're here together in your name. And we get to worship you freely, free from persecution, free from anything hindering us. And we pray, Lord, that everything that's been deposited in each of us this weekend, that it would remain and that it would bear fruit for your glory. And Lord, as we come together for this final meeting, we pray that we would would give you our hearts and our ears. We would... Not resist your word, but accept it. Regardless of how it makes us feel, we trust that it is always for our good. You are a good God. You love your children. You long for us to partner with your will through your word, and we pray that we would understand that this morning. Give us your eyes. Give us your heart. Speak to us. Penetrate our hearts, God. We want to be changed, Lord, and we don't have the power within ourselves to change. 
And we thank you for all the confession and all the repentance that took place this weekend. What a gift repentance is. Your word says in Acts 3.19, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. We thank you that when we repent and we turn to you, you bless us with your presence and you refresh our souls. And so Lord, we come as your people, as your church, as your army to read from your word and to respond. May we not be hearers of the word only, but doers, lest we be deceived. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. A couple, well, throughout the past couple weeks, um, I had the opportunity to talk to two individuals that I grew up with. And these two individuals are simple people that love Jesus. They, they love God with all their hearts. I had the opportunity and the privilege to grow up with them in uh, my hometown in Canada. And since then, we all now live in different countries. And so we take the advantage of calling up one another whenever we have the time to be able to just discuss how life is going and, and practical things and job and all that kind of stuff. But we also talk about spiritual matters and we encourage one another. I'm so grateful for my, my two friends, brothers, really. In these past couple weeks, uh, talking to them individually, it was amazing because both of them at one point in the conversation just really opened up their hearts. And they said something along these lines without talking to one another. This was just me talking to them individually. And they just began to express themselves, saying something along the lines of, Brother, I'm kind of struggling here. Not necessarily with me personally, but the environment that I'm in, it just seems so spiritually dry. Brother, I'm just looking around and I'm, I'm listening to people, uh, people that proclaim to be Christians, and I just, I don't see it. I don't see what I see in this word. I, I don't, I don't, hear it. I don't see the passion. I, I just feel like everybody in my context is just kind of going through the motions. They're just doing their thing and it's kind of service after service and, and they're more interested in other things than what's in the Word of God and I'm struggling. It's, it's just dry here. I don't get it. And, and they weren't expressing out of self-righteousness or condemnation, but they were genuinely concerned. Even going to the place of saying, you know, because I'm in this context, I don't want to be drug into that. I don't want to just get familiar. I don't want to just be a nominal, normal, nine to five kind of Christian. And, and so I don't understand that this is, this is happening where I'm at. And on top of that, I'm looking out to my culture and I'm looking out to society and I see the, the fear and the pain and, and no interest in God. Nobody wants to hear the gospel. There doesn't, there doesn't seem to be a sense of conviction anymore about God. There's no fear of God anymore. It's just dry. It's a spiritual coldness that's just blowing over here. And that forced me to look at my context, hearing them. And it forced me to first identify myself and to evaluate myself. And then to look at my context. And then to look at my culture and to look at my city and to look at the people that I know and reflect. And we think about Chicago itself in the last month, 
51 people died by shootings in one month. And I continue to look into this and, and I study just even personally, where is Christianity headed in our generation? And I was astounded to find that more and more millennials are turning away from the Word of God and, and the standard of the Word of God concerning certain things and it's becoming a growing thing. It's just, people are saying now, God is still speaking. It's not the final revelation of His Word. It's, it's what our culture is moving towards and we can adapt to that. So then, there's a concern now in my own heart. And now I extend the question to you. Have you ever asked those questions in your own life? Have you ever wondered in your own heart, God, is there more than this? God, I look into your word and I see something. Is there more than this in my own life, for my family, even for our churches, for our city, for our country? Is there more? Have you ever asked that question? Has that even been a concern in your own heart? Or maybe you haven't asked that question. Maybe you're in the place where you're like, well, you know what? I mean, praise God, I'm saved. And we do rejoice in that. And, and we just have to do what we got to do in this life. And the Bible says things are only going to get worse and worse. So let's just hold on and wait for the rapture. Regardless of whether you've asked that question or you've had those concerns or maybe you haven't, there is one reality about the Bible and about men and women of God in the Scriptures. They have asked those questions at one point. And there are instances where the people of God and the nations surrounding are going through a time of spiritual coldness, of indifference, of casuality, and it caused them to ask some questions. Not only towards themselves, not only towards the people of God, but towards God Himself. But those questions and those concerns in the Scriptures, they don't stay as questions they don't stay as concerns. They turn into something. They turn into a cry. They turn into a cry. A cry for what? A cry for revival. A cry for a move of God. Not only on an individual level, not only in a corporate, but on a citywide, on a nationwide level. And the purpose of this message this morning is that if you are asking those questions and you do have those concerns, just like those two people that I know personally from different countries, it's amazing, different countries, different time zones, but one same concern, there's got to be more than this. If you are asking those questions, the purpose is that you would be fueled to now turn those questions and those concerns into a cry. And if you're not asking those questions this morning, or you never have, that by examining the scriptures, you would now see why we would have those concerns and that we should cry out to God for something more. And we see this in a man named Isaiah. He was a prophet. He was called by God. He had that vision of seeing him on the throne and saying, I am a man of unclean lips. I'm, a, I'm amongst a people with unclean lips. And if you think it's bad here in America with all the fear and all the division, and everything else. Isaiah had it pretty bad. Much worse, I believe. It seemed as though nobody, not even one person, cared about the Word of God anymore, cared about the things of God anymore. It seems as though everybody was just doing their own thing. In fact, they were involved with different 
idolatry with the other neighboring nations and God was bringing judgment upon that nation and they were on the brink of losing the temple, the very significance of the presence of God and the symbol of His closeness, His nearness was about to be destroyed. And Isaiah in here has some concerns as a man of God. And let's read this together, how these concerns turn into a cry and how they should turn into a cry for our hearts. It says here in Isaiah 64, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down that the mountains might quake at your presence. As when fire kindles brushwood and fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. This is a cry of a man who has some concerns, not just for himself. And I know this might be unique this morning because we do all have our own problems. We do all have our own mountains But Isaiah is a man who is stepping outside of his own concern and he's looking at the concern of his people, the concern of his nation, the concern of other people's spiritual state. Not as a self-righteous man, but as a humble, broken man, genuinely wanting people to come into that genuine relationship with God. And Isaiah, here in chapter 64, he prays, but... Before that, he actually gives us a glimpse of what his day looked like. And this chapter division kind of does a disservice to us because we miss out the flow of what Isaiah is saying. So backtrack with me to Isaiah 63, 17. And look what Isaiah is saying about his day and his people and the condition of his nation. He says, Oh Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways and harden our hearts so that we fear you not? So this is what we can make with this conclusion. Nobody had the fear of God anymore. There was no sense of reverence towards God anymore. There was no sense of awe and majesty towards the Word of God. You know, there was a day here in America, way past before I was born, where people feared God, where people feared the Lord. There was this term that people used, I'm a God-fearing man. And even Sunday was a day that was sanctified. Stores weren't open on Sunday. You didn't do anything else on Sunday. It was for church. It was the day of the Lord. Oh, how that's quickly changed in our day, has it not? There was no sense of fear of God. There was no sense of acknowledgement that God is holy, God is powerful, God can move, God can speak. No fear of God. But then he moves on. Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. So within that kind of society, there is still a remnant. And God always has a remnant. God always has that group of people that remain faithful. They may not, may not be big, but there's always a group of people that want the things of God, that desire more from God, that want to stand for the Word of God, despite society and culture and other standards of Christianity. And so Isaiah now is saying, there is a remnant. And move on behalf of that remnant. Verse 18, your holy people held possession for a little while. Our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. And so judgment did come upon the people of God. And the Babylonians came in and destroyed the temple. And so it's this idea of the world is winning. 
it seems. It seems like our religion is a mockery now. It seems like there's no power. It seems that God is not intervening anymore. This God that you talk about, He's not real. He would have defended you if He was real. He let the Babylonians come in and take over. So there's this sense of pride from the other nations. There's this mockery from those who worship false gods. Says, Your God isn't real. Your God doesn't exist. Your God is powerless. So there's a sense of, God, where are you? We see what, you're, we see what you've done before, but it seems like the world is winning. And he goes on, we have become like those whom you have never ruled, like those who are not called by your name. There's a sense of distance. There's a sense of separation, this silence on God's part. And he's expressing as if we were not even your people. As if we were not even your children. As if we were not even called by your name. Don't you love the Bible, how this is just plain and honest? This is how I'm sensing. And then he breaks out into a prayer. But we all have to ask ourselves, do we feel that way? Do we have those same concerns? Do we have those concerns that more and more young people are leaving the church when they go to college and they never return back, a majority of them, back to church? That more and more people are being drawn into this idea that there is no God, that if you believe in God, you're not a very smart person, you're a fool, and you're shunned by society. Are we concerned that there doesn't seem to be this fervency that we see in the Bible, the book of Acts as the standard, as the blueprint? Do we ask ourselves these questions? If so, just like Isaiah, this is what he does. He prays. He cries out to God for revival. What is revival? Because that word is kind of tossed around a lot, and we kind of mix up what revival is. We kind of confuse revival with evangelism or with meetings. This is what revival is. Revival is an extraordinary visitation of God's Spirit amongst His people, producing exuberant obedience and adoration in the life of an assembly of complacent and unconcerned Christians. Revival is a special visitation of God's Spirit upon His people primarily. And what happens within the people of God and upon the people of God eventually is poured out into the community and into the city. That is what we mean by revival. That is what we mean by asking God for that. Is it biblical to ask God for that? Well, we see it in Isaiah 64, but it's all over. In Psalms 85, 6, David cries out, Would you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? In Habakkuk 3, 2, it says, O Lord, I have heard of the report of you, and your works, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, would you revive it? In the midst of the years, would you make it known? In wrath, remember mercy. Revival is a sovereign move of God. It cannot be planned by a committee. It cannot be produced by an evangelist. It can only be provided by the Spirit of God. Only. And so that leaves us with only one option. If God is the initiator of revival, 
and revival only happens when he moves, then that leaves us in one place, to cry out to God for him to do so. To cry out to God for him to move with such power, with such demonstration, amongst his people and through his people, out to the city, out to the community, out to our families. But here's something very important as we move on. We're not going to take too long this morning. Because there are two extremes with this idea of revival. There are those who believe in revival, but only in revival. What do I mean by that? They take this idea of revival and crying out to God for revival, and they lock themselves in a room, and all they do is pray for revival. Revival, 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 revival. That's, that's great, that's awesome, but revival and praying for revival never substitutes obedience. We don't pray and ask God to move and stop preaching the gospel to the lost. We don't pray and ask God for revival and stop teaching the doctrines of the faith so that we may grow in our walk with Him. We don't pray and ask God for revival and stop feeding the poor and neglect our family needs. Because there are some people that just revival. God move, God move. And God's like, I called you to do some stuff. And then there's the other extreme where it's like, well, if God wants to move, He'll move. Let's just do what we got to do. If, if revival is God's sovereign move, then why ask him for it? He's the one who wants, if he wants to do it, he'll really do it. So let's just not even ask him for it, whatever. And so we want to find ourselves in that perfect balance of walking in obedience, walking according to his word, living our day-to-day, doing what we need to do, but also crying out to God for a move of his spirit. That's where we want to find ourselves. Isaiah says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. He already sets the tone of his praying. He's not casual with his praying. How do we know? With that first word, oh. 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 That is the expression of a man who is desperate. That is the expression of a man who is broken. That is the expression of a man who knows that there is more. Oh, that you would rend the heavens. There's a quote by a preacher, I not fully agree with it, but he makes a point. God does not hear prayer. He hears desperate prayer. I kind of agree with that. I know where he's coming from. That when it comes to asking God for something, we can't be casual about it. We must believe and we must almost feel with him and grab a hold of him with our O's. Are there O's in our prayer? Not in a fake way but that there's something so real in your heart, you're so concerned about the people of this nation, your family, your church, your kids, that you say, oh God, I need you to do something. Oh God, there has to be more than this. And he's asking for that. Rend the heavens, meaning split the skies, and you come down yourself. That is what revival is, when God comes down amongst his people. And this is his desperate cry. Would you come down, God? This is what's in my heart. More than anything in life right now, Lord, I know I have some personal issues. I know I have some things to deal with. But my heart, the chamber of my heart has these O's, and it's for your presence and your power to come again. Oh, God, I need you. We need you. Would you rend the heavens and come down? Would you suddenly rip open the heavens and come down? 
This is what he's asking for. I remember as a family, we went on vacation to Cuba from Canada. We were able to go to Cuba back when I was a child. I remember at one point, being young, we were playing in the pool, and it was a sunny day, it was warm, it was not a cloud in the sky. And all for a sudden, it was so fast, so quick, nobody even saw it coming. Dark clouds just came out of nowhere. You heard thunders in the background that you can almost feel in your chest. And within a moment, it began to rain hard. Within a moment, suddenly it came. And it put everybody in a panic and everybody ran for shelter. And then all of a sudden it stopped. It was a time of refreshing. It was a time to give dry land some water. And that's what Isaiah is asking for. Would you suddenly come? As Hosea 6.3 says, Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. Isaiah is crying out for God to rain righteousness on his land again. To come like those clouds and to pour out his spirit again. And I'll tell you something, everybody on that resort knew it was raining. Everybody got touched by rain. And that's what we're asking for when we're saying, God, rend the heavens and come down. Pour out your spirit again. We want to see your power. And that's what he's saying in this next place. Come down. Why? Because when God comes down, that the mountains might quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil. So he's asking for God to demonstrate his power in an unusual way. We have the right to ask God for that. He's asking God to show up and show off. But he's doing something more specific than that. Isaiah the prophet is going back to another moment in Israel's history and he's asking God, as we sang about, to do something that he's already done before. When he's referencing here that the mountains might quake at your presence, most people believe that he is referencing what happened on Mount Sinai. When the people of Israel were first pulled out and they made that covenant with God at Mount Sinai, and when God showed up, things happened. If you know this scene or not, I'm going to read this scripture in Exodus 2018. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood afar off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. And this is what Isaiah is asking for. God Hundreds of years after, he's saying, I remember that time. I've read the scrolls where you've showed up on Mount Sinai with your power, where fire hit that mountain, where there was a sound of trumpets, where the place literally trembled, and it did something for the people. When God showed up on Mount Sinai with that great power, it did something to the hearts of the people. What did it do? As we just read, it put a fear of God back into them. There was a sense of reverence and awe and majesty towards God again. There is this 
awestruck heart posture towards the word of God. And Isaiah is saying, do it again, God. Do it again, God. I so appreciate the fact that Isaiah appreciated church history. That he was able to look back in time and say, God, I'm not just going to appreciate what you've done in the past. I'm going to believe that you can do it again. You can do it again. And we should be motivated people of God to look back at what God has done in His Word, through church history, and say, God, if you've done it then, you can do it now. You can do it in this place. You can do it in this day. Nothing can stop you. And we're asking for that reality again. Would you rend the heavens and come down and show your power? We need it. And put the fear of God back into us. That people may know, okay, this God of the Bible, He's real. And He's powerful. And there's no denying it anymore. If we think about the first great awakening, lift up your hand if you've heard about the first great awakening in school or any other place. The first great awakening when this nation was touched by God through the leadership of Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield. They came, they preached the word of God and this entire nation not too long ago, was touched by the power of God. And Benjamin Franklin himself, when he heard George Whitfield preach, quoted and said, it seems as though the whole world is coming to religion. And it seems as though you cannot go on one street on a different night where families are not singing hymns and psalms. Benjamin Franklin said that. Maybe you've been to an overnight retreat, and we all here maybe have experienced that, and we love retreats, we love conferences. Why? Because you're surrounded by the people of God. You're you're excluded from the world that's filled with worship and the word and godly fellowship, and it's almost a taste of heaven. That's what it was like in America, in cities, on streets, because revival came. Millions were converted. Millions saw the power of God. Millions heard the word of God and they fell on their knees mid-service because of pure conviction. The sword of the word piercing hearts again. And we have to look back and say, okay, either God did it then or he can do it again. Either we can appreciate history or we can get served with faith and say, God, we want you to do it again. He's asking for God to demonstrate His power. This is not just Old Testament. This is New Testament. When the church came together in Acts chapter 4, resisted by the Pharisees and the religious figures of the day, they said, Lord, give us boldness, but not only boldness, stretch forth your hand and perform signs and wonders. Lord, we're going to do our part, being faithful to your word, preaching the gospel, serving the poor, serving one another. But we're asking that you would do your part, stretch forth your hand, and show yourself strong. But why? Why? Maybe you're in this place and up to this point you're not convinced. Maybe you're not stirred at this point. Maybe this does not concern you. But this next part should involve and concern all of us. This part should convince every single individual in this place why we need to cry out for God to move again in a special way. Look what he says here. In the second part of verse 2, to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. Lord, I'm asking you to move again. 
I'm asking you to come down in a special and unique and powerful way. I'm asking you to demonstrate your power in an unusual manner for one purpose, that you may be glorified. That you may be exalted. Lord, I'm not here to exalt my ministry. I'm not here to exalt my denomination. I'm not here to exalt my church. I'm here and I'm praying and I'm desperate for one reason. I'm concerned about your glory. I'm tired of hearing people mock the name of Jesus. I'm tired of people my age, in my high school, in my college, in my workplace, reject the gospel. Mock the gospel. Rebel against the word of God. I'm sick and tired of hearing people take the name of Christ in vain. Lord, I am concerned about your glory, so I'm asking that you would come for one purpose, that people would know you. That the nations, that those that are serving other gods would know you. And so we should all, in our lives, in the group of believers that we walk with, in our churches, we should cry out to God for this move of God because we are concerned about the glory of God. That the nations might tremble at your presence. That your adversaries, literally the enemies of God, would come to the knowledge of who you are and that they may be stopped in their place. They may be arrested in the rebellion, say, okay, this God is real. This God is powerful. This God can heal. This God can convict. This God is merciful. This God is gracious. He's not just words on a page anymore. He's real. God, make yourself known. God, reveal yourself again. God, do it like you did it on Mount Sinai. Do it like you did it on Mount Carmel. Remember Mount Carmel with Elijah and the false prophets of Baal? In 1 Kings, Elijah comes up and the nation of Israel is in trouble again. The nation of Israel, the people of God, the covenant people of God. Elijah looks at them and I'm paraphrasing, says, Okay, I'm about to have a face down with these false prophets, but i got to give a word to you for a second. When are you going to stop going between two opinions? Because you're one day with Yahweh and you're one day with Baal. You're kind of sitting on the fence. And so I'm asking you, people of Israel, when are you going to get off the fence? And this is what it says in 1 Kings. They had no word to say. And so he says, all right, well, let's see what happens now. Has a showdown with the false prophets of Baal. And let me read to you the reaction when God answered by fire. When God answered by demonstration, when God unusually rended the heavens and came down. This is what happens in 1 Kings 18 verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, guess what happened? They fell on their faces and says, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. You're not sitting on the fence anymore. When God shows up with that power, it takes people that are sitting on the fence and brings them to the right side of the fence. When there are false religions and false prophets, when revival comes, they are convinced, this is the Lord God. He is the true and living God. And they fall on their faces. 
We must pray for this because we must be concerned about God's glory. But there's a condition. There's a condition. It doesn't just come to anybody who asks for it. If that was the case, we would be seeing revivals happen all the time. But look at verse 4 here. From of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. So if you're in this place and you're hearing this right now and you know exactly what's being said, you're in that place, your heart is there, you want this too, you've been crying out to God for this. Or maybe you're in this place now and you're saying, I'm convinced, I want to see God move in my life, in my school, in my workplace, in my city, in my nation. If you're convinced now, we have to understand something. It does not come immediately. It says it comes to those. God does amazing things that no eye has seen, no ear has heard. To those who what? Wait for Him. And so this theological question comes up. If God wants to move so badly, if God is concerned about His glory, and we're asking Him for revival, why doesn't He just do it? I'll be honest. I don't know. I don't know. But there's one thing for certain. In his wisdom, in his sovereignty, he makes us wait. But when he does show up, it makes all the waiting worth it. It makes all the fasting, all the prayer meetings, the distance we drive, the crying out, worth it when he does show up. To those who wait for him, to those who call upon him persistently, this will be a reality in your life. And even if it may not come, in your lifetime, if it comes in another lifetime. We say this in our group all the time, in our young adults group. Guys, even if we pray and ask God for this in our city, in our community, in our neighborhood, and God doesn't do it, at least we know that we asked Him. At least we did not live this life and we stand before Him and say, and hear those words, you had not because you asked not. So let us keep moving forward and let us keep asking. And if God in His sovereignty and wisdom does want to move in our day, let it be so. But let us not leave here on this earth not asking and finding out we could have had if we just asked. Let's wait for Him. It's worth it. We have nowhere else to go. Not just that. You meet Him who joyfully works righteousness to those who remember you in your ways. And so it's those, yes, who wait for Him, but those who actually practice and do the Word of God. As I said earlier, we don't just stay stagnant and say, God, bring revival, God, move, God, preach to my friends, God, feed the poor. No, 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 we have a job to do. But we partner with God and say, as we do what we got to do, you do what you need to do, Lord. And let me make this point too. There will be no revival without the Bible. Because there's a lot of things being done in the name of revival that's contrary to the Word of God. Revival produces repentance, righteousness, holiness, the fear of God, a love for God again. It does an inner work in man. Those who remember you in your ways, who take your word seriously, who joyfully work righteousness, they will and they can expect a move of God in their lives. And we're closing in a moment here. Are we stirred for this? You don't have to answer, just in your own heart. Is this something that 
we want in our own lives, for our churches, for our families, for our schools, for our nation. There's a lot of fear in our nation. You don't need to be a prophet like Isaiah to see that. Just turn on the news. But either we will be concerned and we will criticize and we will write blogs and Facebook posts about what's wrong with our nation and what's wrong with the church today and what's wrong with this and what's wrong with that. We can do all that. That doesn't take much effort. What does take effort is to cry out to God for Him to move and do something about it. Say, Lord, use us in our day. Use our churches. Do a work in us and let it overflow into our communities. But here's the concern of Isaiah. It doesn't just stop there. This is, this is an astounding insight. This is probably one of the most heartbreaking verses in this entire chapter. And it's in verse 7. Look what Isaiah says in verse 7. There is no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take a hold of you. And so Isaiah makes this cry out to God. Isaiah examines his day. He makes this cry out to God and he comes to this conclusion as well. He says, but you know what? Nobody seems stirred anymore. Nobody seems concerned anymore. Nobody rouses themselves up. Nobody actually takes the time to say, you know what, even if this is not a concern, I've got to ask God to make it a concern because it's in His Word and this is His desire. But nobody seems to be doing it. What a shame. And he echoes something in Isaiah 59. In this chapter, he's describing once again in greater detail of what's happening in his day. The injustice, the lack of fear of God, the lack of the demonstration of God's power amongst the people that are rebelling against him. And I want you to see what he sees, what he sees here in verse 14. Justice is turned back. There's no sense of justice in this day anymore. And righteousness stands far away. There seems to be no desire to be pure and holy and right before God. For truth has stumbled in the public squares. And the King James says, truth has fallen in the streets. Nobody even wants truth. Nobody wants to hear the truth. It's all about relativism and liberal theology and liberal thinking. If it works for you, it works for you. If it works for me, it works for me. If it's good for you, it's good for you. If it's wrong for me, it's wrong for me. There's no more truth. Truth has fallen in the streets. Does it sound familiar? And uprightness cannot enter. Verse 15, truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Now, before we move on to the next part, he describes all this wickedness, he describes all this chaos, he describes just like in our day, we can identify some things that are not right. We can all admit that there must be more for my Christian walk. There must be more for the church in North America. There must be more and so he describes it. You read the chapter and you say, man, Isaiah's day was messed up. But you know what shocks God the most? It wasn't the bloodshed. It wasn't the mass murders. It wasn't the craziness that was happening. It wasn't the abortion. It wasn't how people are redefining marriage. It wasn't all that. Those are all things that do concern God. Yes, but you know what shocked God the most? Was that in the midst of all of that, nobody was praying. You say, how can you say that? Look at the next verse. The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. 
And so God was shocked in a sense. That in the midst of all of that, nobody partnered with him to pray and ask God to do something about it. And this is the invitation we have on an individual level, on a corporate level, as we represent different churches and different bodies, but we're still one body in Christ. That God is inviting us not to be fearful, not to lock ourselves up, not to criticize and to point the finger. He's inviting us to intercede and to call upon Him that we may see another move of God in our day. What an exciting truth. What an invitation from God. In this book, Isaiah, he says this. I'm paraphrasing again in Isaiah 63. Listen, I don't want you to rest when you're calling upon me, nor do I want you to give me rest until I establish Jerusalem as the praise of the people again. And in another word, I don't want you to give up. I literally don't want you to stop praying. Don't even give me rest. Wear me out. God is giving that challenge. Wear me out until the people of God are established as they should be in your day again. That's what he's saying. That's what he's inviting us to. What an invitation from God. And so I challenge us this morning as we close in a moment, we're going to pray together. As all these different nations are represented, all these different people, these different church bodies, what a powerful thing it would be this morning if we just got together and cried out to God. We're going to do that in a second, but I need to ask you this one last question. Does it concern us? Are we like Isaiah and we say, Oh God, there has to be more. And if not, you can ask God for that heart. And you can ask God for His pain. And you can ask God to allow you to see things the way He sees things. So that you can bring yourself before Him and say, Lord, if there is nobody else, I'm willing to stand in the gap. We live in a day where we have a tremendous opportunity to see God move. We should not be fearful. We should not be scared. We should be excited. We say, okay, God, this is what the world is doing. We're coming before your throne day and night. And we're not going to rest, nor are we going to give you rest until we see you move because we are concerned about your glory. These people are blind. These people are hardened. These people are cold. I might be cold. My family might be cold. But we're asking that you rain righteousness on us again. We long for your presence. We long for your glory. Do it again, God. Oh, would you rend the heavens and come down again. Quake the mountain again, Lord. Let people not be able to deny your name, deny your son, deny the cross. We're asking as long as we have breath in our lungs, move by the power of your Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to ask for in a moment. Bow your heads with me as we pray. I know that's a little different Sunday morning message. But as we have been focusing on this theme called refocus, as we've been asking God to show us what He wants from us, let's take Isaiah 64 and say, Lord, would you give me that heart? Lord, would you revive our prayer meetings again? Lord, would you bring your church again to say, God, move in our midst? Lord, would you allow me to see the condition of my generation, young people, and make me like a Jeremiah, and say, Lord, I'm just a youth. 
I can't speak. I'm just a youth. And God says, don't worry about that. Let me touch your mouth and use you. And maybe you're a father. Maybe you're a mother. And you feel like your youth days are over and it's just it's about different things now. But would you ask God, make me like a Moses that I may stand in the gap before you and for a people. And just meditate on that thought. In the midst of all the chaos in Isaiah's day, there was nobody interceding, nobody grabbing a hold of God. And God says, that shocks me. You know better than that. I'm asking you to partner with me. And that's the conclusion as I go back to that story with my, those two people that I talk to from time to time. Listen, brothers, we can talk about it. We can complain about it. But what are we going to do about it? Are we going to come before God and say, Lord, run the heavens and come down. In the days where I lose my zeal and I lose my faith that you can do it, remind me and show me in your word how you've done it before and you can do it again. Just stay in that place of prayer for a moment. Just with, I know some of us might be tired, we might be a little worn out from this weekend, but with the little strength that we have, the little strength that we have, and as we're here together in unity, as we're here together, different church bodies, but under one roof, under one name. We're going to sing in a moment, but if you can just stand with me as we stand before the presence of God. Just in your own heart, say, Lord, we need you. We need you in our day. We need you in our churches. We need you in our services. You're a big God and we want to pray big prayers. We can ask God for that. That His power would be real in our church meetings. That when non-believers walk in, they would sense the presence and power of God. That they would not leave the same way they came in. That when we go out and we do what we need to do, in his name out on the streets and different whatever services we have that we would go in the presence and the power of God that parents you would lift up your children their schools young people you would lift up your schools and say God would you rend the heavens and come down I can't do it I'm powerless I'm weak I can do only what I can do but I'm asking for you to do what only you can do really believe that God sees us in this place this morning. Let's really believe that God hears us in this place this morning. Father, we come before you here in this place. And we've heard your word, Lord, through your servant Isaiah in his day, how he cried out to you, Lord, and how it is an example for us to partner with your heart and to cry out to you, Lord, in our day. Forgive us for our excuses. Forgive us for our complacency. Forgive us for not believing that you can do it again. Forgive us for, Lord, trusting in our own strength, trusting in our own abilities, trusting in 
politics and programs and personalities and not on your presence and your power. Bring us back to that place where we say, oh, would you rend the heavens and come down? Bring us back to that place with our own eyes and our own day, we would see revival. That we would experience a move of God. That we would look back at our life and say, we prayed, we persisted, we remained, and God moved in America again. God moved in Chicago again. The crime rate has gone down. Shootings have been done with. Everything is transformed because the heavens have been rendered and He has come down. I don't want to see shootings anymore. I don't want to turn on the news and see bad news. I want to see some good news. Lord, I want to see your name glorified. I want the nations to know you. I want the people to tremble at your presence again. But you can only do it. So I come to you, God. We come to you, God. Broken. Hungry. Keep us hungry. Keep us humble. Keep us desperate. And keep us believing, Lord. That when we wait on you, and that when we joyfully work out righteousness, and we remember your ways, we posture ourselves to see a move of God. We posture ourselves to see revival. Jesus' name we pray.